I could say that John Warren's son is a speaker of the hour, but that really doesn't narrow it down very much. Um, I remember several years ago um, John Warren's being voted the um, staff member most likely to have a son enrolled in Bear Valley in the for, for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, Anthony is the uh, the first one of those to come through. In fact, he came through, as was said uh, yesterday, before his father uh, came through the school here. Done a great work, worked uh, with the congregation at Miller Street here in town uh, for a few years, then uh, moved to uh, Broken Bow, Oklahoma, which happens to be my hometown, uh, pretty much. And uh, was there for, how long were you in, in Brooklyn? Four years, and is now in Corsicana, Texas, doing a great work. We're very proud of Anthony and the work that he does, and uh, we're very honored to have him speak to us today. So, Anthony, if you come preach the word, and I will work on restarting this clock. Preach the word. Thank you, Donnie. Anthony. <laughs> I'll answer to John Warren's son, that's fine. <laughs> You're fine. Um, it was awesome whenever I was in Broken Bow, the first year I was there, Donnie came by to, I guess, be home for just a little while, see some family, and he, he shows up at the office, says, get in my car, and he, he drove me around town, showed me where all the old, kind of like I've been doing with my kids here in Denver, he did that for me in little old Broken Bow, and it was awesome. So uh, that, that's a cherished memory right there, brother. Um, Sixteen years ago, I graduated from here, and a couple of things have never changed how cold that auditorium can be, and how hot this chapel can be. It's staggering the difference, just walking from that room to this room. That has never changed, but it's, a, it's wonderful to be back. If you were in my lesson, if you, if, you were, if you heard my lesson yesterday, at the risk of sounding like a broken record and at the risk of sounding like I have no clue how to start a sermon without talking about mountains, I'm going to talk about mountains for just a second. I love mountains. I've missed the mountains. And I miss Colorado because of those mountains and, of course, all of you people who live here as well. But it's amazing to me how many mountains there are in this state. 58 peaks that are at least 14,000 feet or higher. That is well surpassing any other state in the U.S. It's staggering how many tall mountains there are in this particular state. I love mountains. Many people in the state love mountains. Many people in the country, they love mountains. And when you think about it and you kind of translate that over to our spiritual life and our emotional life, the same thing is true. You and I love mountaintop heights. We love it whenever life is going great emotionally, spiritually. Things are just going wonderful. I'm, you know, I think about the day I got married. I think about the four days that our kids came into this world. I think about last month whenever I got to baptize my two oldest. I mean, these are, these are mountaintop experiences in our life. Mountaintop experiences can happen in vacation or whenever you get that job that you have just been wanting so desperately, whenever finances are going well, whenever life is just fun and happy and good, we love it. I think of a couple of mountaintop experiences in the Bible. I think of Moses on Mount Sinai whenever he got to talk with God. And he went up that mountain and down that mountain and up that mountain and down that mountain so many different times. But, you know, one of those times he comes down off the mountain and he's, he's shining. He's glowing. The people are saying, please cover up your face. You're, 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 you're just glowing. Mountaintop experience. 
I think about Mark chapter 9 whenever Peter, James, and John, they were invited by their Lord, by our Lord Jesus Christ to come up on top of a mountain. And there was the Mount of Transfiguration as we call it. And they're up there on that mountain. And actually it was kind of terrifying for them at first. But, but here they see Jesus and He's glowing. And then they see, then they see Moses and Elijah. They, they, they see these men and, and Peter is so overwhelmed by this mountaintop experience. This is good that you have brought us here. Let's, let's build three tabernacles for, for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. This is wonderful. This is great. This is a mountaintop experience. This is wonderful. We love to partake in these moments, don't we? We, we? we enjoy it. Sometimes we might live for any type of these moments where we're up on the mountain. Everything's going well where we can see the active workings of God in our lives. We love that. Whenever healing is happening, happiness is happening, whenever worship is alive and well in our life, we live for those moments. However, even in the great state of Colorado with 58 peaks above 14,000 feet and higher, there's some valleys in this state, right? Now, um, there's some uh, Eastern Colorado folk here, and I grew up in Eastern Colorado for a time as well, so I, I don't mean to make fun of you or, or myself or, or offend anyone, but, you know, you drive into the state of Colorado from Kansas, and you're going to see that colorful, welcome to colorful Colorado sign, right? And if you've never been to Colorado, you're going to think they've been lying to me my entire life. It's flat, it's not colorful, it's this huge valley. Even in the great state of Colorado, there are some valleys, isn't there? Whenever Moses was up on that mountain, one of the days he came down, what did he see? He saw his own brother and the rest of the, the, rest of the camp. They had, they had gotten fickle. They had gotten to the point where they were, they were just antsy and, and they, they couldn't wait any longer. So they built this golden calf. That's a valley. That's a valley for Moses. Here's Peter, James, and John. They're up there with Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, and they come down off that mountain. And what do they find? They find the crowd's kind of frantic. It's not a happy scene whatsoever. There's one particular man who's brought his, his son with the demon to the other apostles, and they, they can't figure out how to help him. The other apostles are arguing with the scribes about Jesus. It, it's, it's a mess. They were up on this wonderful mountaintop experience and now they're back here in real life. And oftentimes that happens to us. We're up on these mountaintop experiences and we know if there's a mountaintop experience that also means that there might be a valley, a valley low very, very nearby. Sometimes we have these points in our life and maybe it's times of depression. Maybe it's times of loss. Maybe it's times of a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, bad times, terrible times in your life. And you might get yourself, you might resort to the point where there's going to be questions and accusations in your life. Maybe, maybe questions like, Lord, where are you? Where are you? I need you in my life right now. Or have you ever heard... How could a loving God allow me to go through this? How could a loving God allow me to go through this? Is he even really there? Sometimes, sometimes our valley lows can take a huge toll on our faith if we're not careful. You know, every single one of us, if we live long enough, 
we're, we're going to experience some, some form of heartache. Some form, and, and many times in our life, we're going to experience heartache. We're all going to experience times where our faith is, is teetering based on the ebb and flow of what's taking place in our life. And the question is, how do we handle it? How do we handle those times? How do we handle the depression? Is it bad to be depressed? No. It's not. John Baker did a fantastic job yesterday talking about how one-third of the book of Psalms is these, is these chapters, these psalms of lament, where these people are depressed, where these people are sad. It's natural. It's a natural part of life. But what do we do with it? How do we handle these low times? How do we handle the depression? How do we handle the questions and the worries? How do we handle these things? And ultimately, do we allow the valleys in our life to cause our, our, our faith to waver? Do we cause it to allow us to lose our faith? And that's what we've got to watch out for. Um, I want you to be turning over to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, as we're going to be looking at one of, one of these psalms, a, a lament psalm, if you will, one of these psalms, and what we're going to see is real life just opening up in front of our life. It's going to be real. It's going to be raw. It's going to be unfolding before our eyes. And in a way, I love reading these type of psalms because what it does for me is it shows me it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly acceptable to be someone who's going through a difficult time and to really be honest with your emotions, to be honest with your emotions to God. And what we're going to see here, we're going to see a man who is dealing with a great depression, and what he does with it and how this particular progression goes through to eventually get him back to a decent and good place. Now, just some um, introductory material for Psalm 77. The author. The author appears to be, if you look at the beginning of the psalm, a man by the name of Asaph. Now, Asaph we read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 17. What's taking place there is David... David has decided it's time to go get the Ark of the Covenant. So he chooses many, many different priests to go and represent Israel to go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to him. And, but he also decides to send some singers, musicians with, with, uh, with them. Individuals in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 16 that can raise sounds of joy. Well, in verse 17, Asaph is one of those men. You'll also notice, though, at the beginning of that passage that there's also a man by the name of Jeduthun. Jeduthun, and this man is also mentioned in the same context in chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 14. And these particular individuals were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because His loving kindness is everlasting. So it's, again, these, these worshipers, these individuals who are going to sound, raise sounds of joy on behalf of of the Lord for King David. This is who Asaph is, and Asaph seems to be the author. Maybe it was one of his sons, but probably Asaph seems to be the author of this particular psalm. Some more introductory material about this. This particular psalm is broken into four stanzas. Again, uh, uh, Dan Winkler has done a great job this week talking about this, this being a book of songs. This is essentially a song right here, and it's written by a musician. And this particular psalm is one that's going to be broken up into four stanzas. And each one of those stanzas are going to be broken up by a word that we call salah or selah. 
Um, you, you'll notice it's there in verse 3, Saleh. Um, you, you'll notice it in verse 9. You'll notice it in verse 15. But these four different stanzas are separated by three occurrences of this. Now, what does this Selah or Saleh um, mean? We don't know necessarily. 71 times this word happens in the Psalms, but some people believe that it probably means something, maybe to the, the effect of, let's pause and let's think about it. Let, let's pause, let's pause, take a pause from the song and really dwell on what we just sang, dwell on what we just talked about. So we're going to go with that today. Here's the way this Psalm is going to break down. The first part, verses 1 through 3, the first stanza, is essentially going to be Asaph saying, things are bad, but I feel like I'm trying. I feel like I'm trying to progress okay with the Lord through my hardship. The second stanza is going to be verses 4 through 9, and it's going to be, things are bad, and now God has forsaken me. Things are bad, but I'm trying, but now God's not helping me, and so now it's God's fault. The third stanza is going to be this. Things are still bad, but I have changed my perspective. Verses 10 through 15. And then finally, we're also going to see things may still be bad, but God has always been good. Verses 16 through verse 20. So that's kind of your progression, your four stanzas as we get through Psalm 77. So let's go ahead, without further ado, let's go ahead and just get right into the psalm. Stanza number one. Things are bad, but I feel like I'm trying. Things appear to be very bad for Asaph. We don't know why. We don't know what's taken place. We don't know if he's lost a spouse. We don't know if he's taken a, a hit on his own health. We don't know if he's upset about a certain enemy that is looming in the distance against Israel. We don't know what's taking place right now, but there's some sort of depression. Something bad is taking place. We're not given the details, and quite honestly, details are completely unneeded to see and feel this man's great sadness and all that he is going through. Despite his sadness, there's a couple of things early on in verse 1 that he truly believes in. Number one, we're going to see that Asaph believes that there is one God. Look with me at verse 1. My voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and He will hear me. He believes that there's one individual that he can go to. With how bad his life is right now, there's one individual he can go to and that is God. And with that... Number two, we see that Asaph is going to utilize all of his effort, every bit of his effort to make sure that he's going to use his time wisely to go to God, cry out to him, beg him, plead with him. Take this away from me. Make me happy again. But here's the problem. The answer doesn't come. The answer that he wants doesn't come right away doesn't come right away whatsoever. Look at verse 2. In the day of my, uh, my trouble, I sought the Lord. What does Asaph do? It, it's almost as if, and this is a great reminder for you and I, as soon as something bad happened to him, I'm going to pray. As soon as something bad happens, that day, I'm going to my Lord. I'm going to my Father. He's going to answer me. I believe that, and I'm going to cry out to Him that particular day. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. But, uh-oh, keep reading verse 2. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. I started in the day, and here comes night, and He hasn't answered yet. 
problem is still here. God has not taken away the problem at all. Notice a couple of things about this prayer. This, this prayer is not just an audible prayer. He's throwing his entire body into it. He's stretching out his arms. Um, I, I almost envision him on the ground, on his bed, maybe face down, arms up, or maybe just on his knees with his arms outstretched. But he is throwing his entire being into this prayer. He wants help. He needs help. Help me right now. He started in the day at nighttime. Nighttime has come. There's still no answer. But what is, what is Asaph doing? Asaph is doing what Paul tells us to do in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Whenever it is said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, let our requests be made known to God. That, that's what he's doing. I'm going before God. I'm asking him. I'm begging him. But this is a slow response. An undesirably slow response from the Lord. And it's starting a new sadness for Asaph. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, When I remember God, I'm sorry, the end of verse 2, my soul refused to be comforted. He's gotten to the point now where he's starting to realize I had hope, and now he feels like he has no hope. Look at verse 3. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. This disturbed right here is a moaning. Okay? It's a moaning. And then, when I sigh, verse 3, then my spirit grows faint. Look at the progression. Something bad has happened, so what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. Now, that didn't help in his mind, so he's moaning. Moaning about the Lord, even when everything's about the Lord. And then that doesn't seem to be helping, so now it's a sigh. It's almost as if I've just lost all hope. I've lost all hope in what the Lord can do to me or for me. We see right here a man who is in the early stages of a faith that is starting to falter. He just knew, just knew where he could go for help. But in his mind, the Lord's not hearing and the Lord's not going to help. Salah. Salah number one. Let's pause there in verse three and let's think about this thought. Have you ever found yourself depressed? Have you ever found yourself in a state that you are just very, very sad, anxious, you don't know how to handle a particular situation? Asaph wasn't the first and he sure wasn't the last and, he won't, and we won't be the last, right? All of us are going to go through times where, where we go through depression, anxiety, fear. All of these are emotions that are completely and utterly normal and common to humanity. And maybe you're going through some of these right now in your life. Maybe you've got something in your life right now where you're wondering, what on earth can I do about this? Let, let me remind you and encourage you, if you will. Do some of the things that Asaph did early on. When, when the going gets tough, whenever you're anxious, whenever you're depressed, whenever you don't know which way to turn, always run to the Lord. Amen. Always go to Him. That's where Asaph started. Now it's going to get worse for him before it gets better. But that's where it started for him. He, he ran to God. And let me remind you that as you're doing this, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to, to help you. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Go to Him. You know, but also remember as you're going to Him, 
You go to him during the day and at nighttime, it hasn't changed. Realize that God has not promised that he's always going to give you what you ask for. Remember that he will not necessarily give it to you in the time frame that you want or really ever the way that you want. Sometimes he will not give you what you ask for. And despite this fact, we need to understand that God still hears you. And God might be strengthening you, allowing you to be strengthened. He might be allowing you to go and get peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we read. What about verse 7? The peace of God can be given to us, which surpasses all comprehension. Even if he does not answer you the way that you want, you can still have this peace. So go to him in your sadness. Run to him whenever the going gets rough. Stanza 2. Things are bad, and now God has forsaken me. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I see a man right here who has lost sleep. He can't sleep. Remember, he started in the day, now he's at night. He cannot sleep. And notice, who is he blaming? God, you're keeping me awake. You're holding my eyelids open. I cannot sleep, and, and it's, it's your fault. We transition right here from a sad Asaph to an accusatory Asaph right here. All those tears, all the words that he had cried to the Lord earlier on, they've escaped him, and he's completely dwelling now on the Lord, but in a fact of the Lord has done this through or to me. The Lord has the one is the one who has done this to me. Have you ever noticed whenever things are going bad? Maybe maybe you're in an argument with your spouse. Maybe you're in an argument with the uh, a sibling, your your friends, your parents. Have you ever gotten to the point where you start making accusations that are absolutes? You never do this for me. Or, you always say this, or you always do that. Well, these absolutes are often exaggerated, aren't they? Completely exaggerated. They lack truth. And look at what Asaph is going to do. Asaph is going to do this about God. Again, verse 4, You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember this, my song... In the night, I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? What is he doing right here? He's he's got an absolute. And will he never be favorable? Again, that never right there. He's never going to be favorable again. Verse 8. Has his loving kindness ceased forever? It's an absolute. Verse 8. Has his promise come to an end forever? Verse 9 isn't going to have absolutes, but we're going, to, we're going to add them. Has God forgotten to be gracious forever? Or has an anger withdrawn? Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion forever? His worry and his depression have turned to accusation and the loss of hope and saying things are bad. And now God has forsaken me. God is against me. And there's no greater depression that can befall upon any individual than to lose hope in the Lord and to really believe that God is against them and that there's nothing that God could ever do to help yourself. Selah, number two. Let's pause and let's think about this thought. If we're not careful, 
this transition from depression to a complete lack of hope is, is possible in, in all of us, in, in any of us. When we allow our emotions to, to rule us and we allow our, our sadness and, and the things that are going on around us to, to rule, we can start making up things in our minds about our Lord. And we can even do things like Asaph was doing. God, you're keeping my eyes open. You're, you're causing me to, to lose sleep. The problem, though, the problem, though, with accusing our Lord with our problems and that is that those accusations, those, those absolutes are, are, are lacking truth. They, they don't stand in truth because Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 tells us, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Those are absolutes that are based on truth right there. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So remember, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be going through a hard time, a hard day, a hard month, a hard year, a hard decade. It's okay to be going through those hard times. It's okay to have questions and questions to the Lord. But let's also remember, even in our depression, let's be careful about where we allow that depression to take us in our accusations towards the Lord. Stanza number three. Things are still bad, but I have changed my perspective. Have you ever seen have you ever seen a soldier facing one direction and then by one command he, he just kind of clicks his heels and he's facing the other way. He doesn't about face. I, I'm not going to try to do it because I would trip and I would fall. Asaph right here is going to do an about face. Look at verse 10. Then I said it is my grief that the right hand of the most high has changed. What do we have right here? We have an understanding and we don't know what took place. We don't know what got to Asaph's mind where all of a sudden he has a change. He has a change in his mind. But abruptly he is saying, you know what? I realize something now. God never changed. My perspective of God changed though. God was always there. God has always loved me. He's always been the most high. He's always cared about me, even during my, my most depressed moments. He has never demoted from the position of most high. And he has never done anything unbecoming of one who is the most high. It was my depression. It was my grief. It was my sadness that put God in that place. He was never in that place, but my perspective put him in that place. Does this mean this all of a sudden new realization of Asaph, does this mean that the dilemma was over? That all of a sudden all the things that he had asked for had just been given to him by the Lord? Guess what? We don't know. Maybe. Maybe it was all given to him, all the things he had asked for. Or maybe he's still in the exact same place that he was before. Maybe he's like Paul whenever Paul is crying out for this thorn in the flesh and and finally he realizes, you know what, God's grace is sufficient for me. I, I don't know where he is right now, but we do know this, that all of a sudden something changed and he changed his perspective. He changed his perspective. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading through this particular passage. Verses 11 and following. I shall remember the deeds 
of the Lord. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Asaph now, instead of moaning, has changed it to a thinking about the Lord. He's actively trying to remember all that the Lord has done for him and his nation before this time. Verse 12, I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. He's going to meditate not on the bad dilemma, but on what God has promised him and what he has given him. Verse 13, verses 13 through 15, he's going to praise the Lord for who he is. It says, your way, O God, is holy. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have, by your power, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. What do we have right here? We have a man who apparently probably still has some bad things going on in his life, but now he's choosing to dwell on God and go, you know what? My perspective has changed. My perspective realizes you're still holy. You're still wonderful. You're still almighty God. Salah. Number three. Pause and think about this thought. I'm afraid that too many times in our lives we allow certain situations and thoughts to be dictated by our attitude. What's taking place in our life. How many times, how many terrible, awful situations have you gone through in your life? And then you're removed from those terrible, awful situations by maybe a week or a month or a couple of years and you turn back around and you realize maybe, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I mean, it was bad, it was rough, but it wasn't as bad as I made it out to be in my life. What is that? That's, that's perspective. That's perspective. That's changing your perspective. Now, please, I'm begging you, don't think what I'm about to say is preaching or saying that depression is wrong or that there's no place for depression. There is a ton of room for depression again. The book of Psalms, one-third of it seems to be individuals who have some sort of depression taking place. You might be going through a situation right now that that validates depression, that validates a, a sadness, and that is okay. There comes points in our lives where it's even okay to go and, and consult a doctor and have medication prescribed. It is okay to be sad. And sadness is completely normal. So, so don't take what I'm about to say as to say that there's no place for depression. But in saying all of that, there is a real sense that when we are going through troubling times, that we do need to stop and check our perspective. We need to stop and check the way we're dwelling, the things we're thinking about, our attitude. Do we realize that God never promised us a life void of depression? He's never promised us a life void of sad situations. He has promised us a home in heaven if we decide to live for Him. Amen. A place where there will be no more tears. Right. A place where there will be no more depression. He has promised those particular things. He's even told us, though, to um, during those difficult times to be thankful. Consider it all joy, my brethren, whenever you go through, encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He, he allows us to go through those particular things and he wants us sometimes to be strengthened through those things. Perspective. You know, we don't know what caused Asaph's 
Asaph to change his perspective. Maybe God answered. Maybe someone talked to him. Maybe he just had this honest moment with God. It doesn't matter. However, there are some things that can change yours and my perspective whenever whenever we're going through a difficult time. The Bible. The Bible can change our perspective. Whenever you're going through a difficult time, run to the Bible. Run to His Word. Get in His Word. Dive into His Word. Make sure that you're reading those psalms. Read those psalms of other individuals, the lament psalms of individuals who are struggling as well. Read those and get get inspiration from them. What else can you do to help your perspective during a depressing time? Get to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Talk to them. We need each other. And so many times, maybe it's, maybe it's a cultural thing here in America, we don't like to talk about our problems. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to admit that we're struggling. Get to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get to the elders of the church. Get to individuals who can help you change your perspective. Prayer. Prayer can help you change your perspective. I love Romans 8.26. The Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Pray. Pray as Asaph started praying. Pray to the Lord. Even whenever you don't have the right words to pray, God does. The Holy Spirit does. God can help you with your perspective. Stanza. Number four, things may still be bad, but God has always been good. The end of Asaph's psalm brings Asaph back to his roots. You'll remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. It's a long passage we're not going to read for time's sake. But it's a long passage where it's reminding the, the children of Israel to remember God, to love Him, to teach their sons and their grandsons all about the Lord, to remember how God took them out of the land of Egypt and how He provided for them, how He took care of them, how He was there for them. Always remember those things. Well, that's exactly what Asaph is going to do right here. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 16 through 20. And what you're going to see right here is kind of a poetic, a poetic uh, poem uh, about the time that God brought the children of Israel through the sea. It says, verse 16, The waters saw you, O Lord, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters, and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Again, what do we see right here? We see the event depicted as a, as a thunderstorm in this poem. Um, you controlled everything about the sea. You led your people like a flock. What is Asaph doing? He's meditating on how God has always been there for the people of Israel. He's always been there. He's always been there for Israel, for those Jews. And he's sitting here in his depressed state, going back to Deuteronomy 6. Going back and dwelling on the things that he needs to dwell on. Yeah, I understand life is hard. I understand this situation may not be lifted from me. But I'm going to choose because of the perspective, the perspective change that I had. I'm going to choose to dwell on God and dwell on Him and how He has always been there for me and He has always done good. 
There may not be a fourth Salah, but we're gonna we're gonna interject it anyway. Let's stop and let's pause and think about this thought as well. How important is it to fill our mind up with that which is good? If we want to combat negative thoughts, what is our best line of defense? Meditating on that which is good. We already looked at Philippians 4, 6, verse 7. What about verse 8? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let's do what Asaph finally did. There's going to be negative, depressing moments, years. There's going to be some depression that we're going to have to work through, and that is completely, it's completely normal. That, that's, that's human. And it's okay. It's okay to need help. It's okay to need help from brothers and sisters in Christ. It's absolutely okay to need help from the Lord. But while we're going through those times... Let's dwell on God and the good and all that He has done for us and will continue to do for us. When life brings you through the valley, and life is going to bring you through the valley, many times maybe, remember, keep God as your focus. And there's going to be times as you're keeping God as your focus that you're going to get upset. You might get upset and frustrated with the Lord. He may not bring you to the mountains right away. He may allow you to stay there in the valley and be strengthened for a time. But you need to remind yourself and remember, even though I'm walking in this valley, I have a Lord who loves me. Amen. And He's there for me. And He sent His Son to die for me. And that Son has gone to prepare a place for me. And in the meantime, I have His Spirit as a Christian indwelling me. And I am going to be okay. I may not feel like right now I'm going to be okay. But I've got God on my side and He loves me. And remember that with the correct perspective of Him, we can. We can make it through the valley just as Asaph made it through his valley. Thank you, guys. Thank you.